Welcome to the Living Healthy Podcast, where you can improve your quality of life by making solid and informed decisions. I'm your host, Eddie Randall. Thank you for tuning in to the Living Healthy Podcast. I have another phenomenal show lined up for you this evening. March is officially Bleeding Disorder Awareness Month, so I decided to do a two-part series on blood disorders and cancers that are associated with hematology. This is part one of a two-part series. The first part of this podcast focuses on the different types of anemia and treatment, as well as what you can do health-wise in dealing with this ailment. In part two, I cover blood cancers and other blood disorders, including treatment and healthy decisions that you can make. I've had many patients that have had bleeding disorders, and having a bleeding disorder can be life-changing. Many are genetically acquired, and there is not much we can do um, other than to pray, follow our doctor's advice, and try to live the healthiest life possible. Whatever the ailment is, you have some adjustments to make and you should not let this disease run your life. Hematology, how to live healthy with blood disorders, part one. The history of hematology. Hematology is a very complex and fascinating segment of medicine and health. It is the study of diseases of the blood. From the ancient Egyptians, Asia, Greece, along with the Roman Empire and Europe, Hematology, or an unintelligible practice of it at the time, was commonly used. During medieval times, bloodletting, which is a release of the blood from the body in its belief that it would cure an illness, was a crude practice with a tool called a phleme. Just looking at that tool gives uh, painful thoughts, um, if it makes any sense. Um, If you're interested in seeing one, you should search for it online. Uh, Bloodletting was used to restore the balance of the body. It was believed to remove illness or to remove demons from the body as well. Other illnesses it was used for was smallpox, cancers, poisoning, fevers, and high blood pressure. The Greek physician Hippocrates, who wrote the Hippocratic Oath that we still use today, believed that bloodletting helped to restore a person's balance and to cure illness. Dr. Jerry Greenstone wrote an article on the history of bloodletting in the British Columbia Medical Journal. He states that Hippocrates believed that a person consisted of four elements, earth, air, fire, and water. And when a person is sick, it meant that one of the four elements was out of balance. Thereby, bloodletting was thought to restore balance. In the 17th century, Anton van Leeuwenhoek was a Dutch scientist who is known as the father of microbiology. Crude microscopes were made and used by people searching for knowledge and understanding in science and medicine. However, Van Leeuwenhoek's work on microscopes led to his becoming the most useful ones at the time. He actually made about 500 of them. To his persistence, he was the first man alive to see microscopic bacteria and red blood cells. William Hewson was a British surgeon who was known as the father of hematology. 
he was able to identify fibrin, which is a key factor in blood clotting. With his contribution, he was able to take Van Leeuwenhoek's work one step further by giving greater detail to red blood cells. He interpreted clotting and white blood cells. In 1818, English OBGYN James Blundell was the first to conduct the first successful human blood transfusion. In 1901, Austrian doctor Karl Landsteiner developed the A, B, AB, and O blood types. There are a lot more contributors and geniuses to talk about, but the ones I mentioned were the most influential, at least in my understanding, to modern-day hematology. These men laid the groundwork for what we have today. Thank God for blessing these men with brilliance and curiosity. Their work paved the way for medical science today, including everything from medicine to organ transplants. Blood is literally our life force, and a person's blood can tell you everything about that person, which includes health as certain proteins will show up in the blood to let you know what's going on inside the body. It'll let you know how well organs are functioning, such as kidneys, liver, heart, etc. Blood tests will also allow you to know if there is an endocrine disorder, cancer, or any cardiovascular disease. It can also let you know what the person's blood type is for proper typing. This is just in case type O is not available. In addition, it will allow you to know a person's diet as high LDL cholesterol will be an indication of a diet that's high in fat. Blood can also give an indication if you're at risk for developing particular ailments and or cancers. Genetic blood testing can also be used to determine if you are at risk for a disease or at risk to pass on a dormant disease. If you remember, some years back, Angelina Jolie underwent genetic testing and ended up getting a double mastectomy. She did not have cancer, but her genetic tests revealed that she was at risk, something like a 90% chance of developing uh, cancer in the future. Some future parents can undergo testing to see if they'll pass on a gene or genes to their children, which will cause an ailment. I'm mentioning this because advances in science have allowed doctors and scientists to give people options with planning and living their lives. Disorders With all the advances in medicine, disorders can now be detected and treated. In the past, throughout history, countless people around the world have succumbed to some type of death that was not detectable. Just remember, prior to the 1800s, if you got an infected wound and, de and developed a fever, in most cases it was tantamount to a death sentence. I think it's safe to say that a portion of unexplained deaths may have been due to diseases of the blood. I can say this because as far as human history is concerned, blood functions in the same way it did starting with Adam and Eve to modern day man in 2022. The only difference is doctors and scientists now have the ability to detect ailments and give life-saving treatments. Types of blood disorders. Unfortunately, there are a variety of blood disorders that can cause illness and even death. One common class of blood disorders involves anemia. Anemia happens when there are not enough red blood cells to carry oxygen to the body's organs. The relationship of blood and the organs in the body is quite complex. 
but understanding the basic function and process is necessary to understanding blood disorders. Iron is a trace element and 70% of iron is in our red blood cells, which are inside of a protein called hemoglobin. When we breathe, little air sacs called alveoli move oxygen into capillaries in the body. In turn, hemoglobin via the capillaries transports blood to the arteries and veins. It also transfers carbon dioxide back to the lungs. Hemoglobin contains four heme groups, which are called iron, as well as globin, which are proteins that function in binding and protecting oxygen. When a person has anemia, the body does not get enough oxygen. The organs don't get what they need in order to function properly. Anemia is a debilitating disease and can be life-threatening if left untreated. Anemia. There are literally hundreds of types of anemia. There are too many to cover in this podcast, so I'm just going to cover just some of the more common ones. Most anemias are a class of anemia rather than being a specific disease. Some of the most common types of anemia are aplastic anemia, Fanconi anemia, hemolytic anemia, pernicious anemia, microcytic anemia, and sickle cell anemia. Aplastic anemia happens when the body is not producing enough red blood cells. Causes of aplastic anemia include radiation exposure, toxic chemicals, use of certain medications, infections, genetics, and autoimmune response. The most common cause is autoimmune, where your immune system would attack your stem cells. In some instances, this condition can be caused by bone marrow transplant. There are two types of aplastic anemia, acquired and inherited. Acquired aplastic anemia is called so if the cause of the illness is due to the immune system. Inherited is called so if a parent is identified as passing it on to a child. Mostly children are diagnosed with the the acquired variant. Symptoms include fatigue, dizziness, shortness of breath, gingivitis, fever, blood in the stool, enlarged spleen, and headache. A bone marrow transplant can oftentimes be the only cure for this disorder. Other treatments include blood transfusions, immunosuppressants like cyclosporine, which is sometimes used in accordance with a steroid. Fanconi anemia is mostly found in children and can affect different parts of the body. It prevents the bone marrow from making enough red blood cells. This problem is inherited and happens when DNA sequences cannot repair themselves. Symptoms include physical disfigurement like a small uh, skull size, hand and arm disfigurement, and an extra thumb or disfigured thumb. Other issues include bleeding problems, predisposition to infection, organ malfunction, and it also puts the patient at an increased risk for cancer. It's mostly effect, it mostly affects children and is an inherited disorder. A telltale sign of this condition, which is found in half of its patients who have Fanconi anemia, is that there will be abnormal skin patches or blotches called café au lait. Café au lait is French for coffee with milk. By themselves, the spots um, are more or less can be described as dark spots or a skin blemish. Café au lait can also be an indicator for other diseases as well, such as neurofibromatosis. 
As mentioned, this condition is genetic and is passed on through family lines. Treatment for this condition includes surgery to remove excess thumbs or for organ defects. Hormone therapy and a bone marrow transplant are also options. The Cleveland Clinic states that growth factor hormone, androgen therapy, surgery, and bone marrow transplants are also options to treat Fanconi anemia. Hemolysis is a normal occurrence. When a red blood cell reaches a certain age, it undergoes lysis or cell destruction, and the heme is recycled to make new red blood cells. Healthy red blood cells last about four months, and bone marrow aids in producing them. If they're destroyed sooner than the bone marrow can produce them, this is what is called hemolytic anemia. There are three types of hemolytic anemia, autoimmune, alloimmune, and drug-induced. Autoimmune occurs when the immune system creates antibodies that for some reason identify your normal red blood cells as foreign and attacks them. There are two types of autoimmune hemolytic anemia, warm and cold. Warm autoimmune hemolytic anemia happens at normal body temperature. Cold autoimmune hemolytic anemia happens when a person is exposed to cold around 50 to 30 degrees. I wanted to take a moment to say thank you for supporting the podcast. The Living Healthy Podcast is listed on many platforms, including Anchor, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Bullhorn, and many others. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. And don't forget to check out the Living Healthy Podcast channel on YouTube. Also, if you have any questions or would like me to discuss a particular topic or you'd like to be a guest on the show, please contact me at livinghealthylivinghealthy at gmail.com. Alloimmune hemolytic anemia occurs when an incompatible blood type is given during a transfusion. The body rightfully makes antibodies against foreign blood. This could be a fatal condition if it's not handled immediately. It can also happen in pregnant women. If a woman has no RH factor in her blood and her baby does have an RH factor, then the mother's immune system will attack the fetus. Chances of a miscarriage increase drastically. Drug-induced hemolytic anemia can develop with certain medications like penicillin, Tylenol, chemo drugs, and anti-inflammatory drugs. Some medications will bind to red blood cells and the immune system will produce antibodies against them. Symptoms of hemolytic anemia include fatigue, arrhythmia, chills, dark urine, low blood pressure, shock, jaundice, and even heart failure. As far as treatment, the course of action would depend on the type of anemia. Treatments typically include steroids to stop the immune system from attacking the red blood cells. Bone marrow stem cell transplants remove damaged stem cells and replaces them with healthy cells from a suitable donor. Other surgeries include a splenectomy, as the spleen is vital in keeping infections out of the blood. But if it is aiding in destroying your healthy red blood cells, then removing it would be an option. Blood transfusions are also an option in order to get oxygen to organs where it's needed. For pregnant women with this disorder, 
they will be prescribed a medication called RH immunoglobulin. This medication will help the mother's immune system, uh, will rather prevent the mother's immune system from attacking the baby um, who would be uh, positive for an RH factor. Doctors are not sh exactly sure what causes hemolytic anemia. However, some diseases like HIV, Epstein-Barr, and lupus are known to put patients at an increased risk for developing hemolytic anemia. Pernicious anemia happens when you have a vitamin B12 deficiency. Pernicious anemia consists of two types of anemia, megalobastic anemia and macrocytic anemia. Megalobastic has three types, folate deficiency anemia, folic acid deficiency anemia, and vitamin B12 deficiency anemia. Megalobastic anemia is when the bone marrow produces large immature red blood cells. Folate deficiency anemia is a B vitamin deficiency due to the size and immaturity of red blood cells. They cannot function properly, therefore they lead to a deficiency. As with folate, folic acid is a B vitamin and folic acid deficiency anemia occurs for a number of reasons. Some reasons include not eating enough food with folate, stomach problems, alcohol abuse, medications, and it can also be inherited. The third type is vitamin B12 deficiency anemia. The body needs vitamin B12 to make red blood cells. A deficiency usually happens when there's something or something wrong or some type of problem that prevents your body from absorbing vitamin B12. There's a protein called intrinsic factor, or IF. It's made by the stomach and latches on to vitamin B12 to allow it to be absorbed by the intestines. This condition can be inherited. It can also be caused by stomach problems and an autoimmune disorder in that the immune system attacks the vitamin B12. There are disorders like Crohn's disease, diabetes, and Graves' disease that can predispose people to pernicious anemia. RareDiseases.org states that diseases can lead to pernicious anemia such as diabetes, hypothyroidism, Addison's disease, and Graves' disease. As far as symptoms, telltale signs of pernicious anemia include fatigue, headaches, neuropathy, confusion, arrhythmia, and dizziness. If pernicious anemia persists or goes untreated, it can lead to neurological problems. Megalobastic anemia is a deficiency in folate and B12 and is a type of macrocytic anemia. Macrocytic anemia is just like megalobastic anemia in that the red blood cells are enlarged. The difference is that in megalobastic anemia, the red blood cells have a nucleus and are immature. The condition happens due to a problem with DNA resulting in an issue with cell division. Macrocytic are also non-megaloblastic and are caused by factors other than problems with DNA, such as COPD, alcohol abuse, and liver disease. Treatments for pernicious anemia include vitamin B12 shots, vitamin B uh, pills, diet changes including red meat and vegetables, vitamin B12 shots are given every few weeks or so, depending on the level of anemia. Many patients who are vegetarians often have to get vitamin B12 injections to make up for the lack of it. National Health Services states that injections can include cyanocobalamin and hydroxocobalamin. 
Dietary changes include increasing the intake of healthy lean red meat, like beef. In addition, increasing chicken, salmon, and turkey are also ideal. For folic acid deficiency anemia, it's recommended to change the diet to focus on foods like leafy greens, which would include, which would include spinach, kale, and collard greens. Nuts, including peanuts, walnuts, and sunflower seeds. In addition, whole grain cereals and bread are tantamount options. Microcytic anemia occurs when you don't have enough red blood cells and the ones that you do have are too small to carry out their functions and provide the body with adequate resources. There are five types of microcytic anemia that are known by their acronym TAILS. They are thalassemia anemia of chronic disease, iron deficiency, lead poisoning, and sideroblastic anemia. Thalassemia has four types of anemia called alpha-thalassemia silent carrier, alpha-thalassemia carrier, hemoglobin H disease, and alpha-thalassemia major. Thalassemia is when the red blood cells have a lifespan shorter than four months, and there are fewer healthy red blood cells as the body does not produce enough hemoglobin. This results in red blood cells being destroyed, which in turn produce uh, ends up with the result of anemia. Hemoglobin consists of four genes, and when one or more gene is missing or damaged, thalassemias occur. They are inherited conditions, and alpha-thalassemia silent carrier occurs when a person does not show symptoms of the disease, but is able to pass it on to his or her children. This means that the person has one gene that's damaged or missing. Alpha-thalassemia carrier happens when there are two genes that are damaged or missing. Hemoglobin H disease happens when three genes are involved. Alpha-thalassemia major occurs when all four genes are involved, and this results in the fetus dying or the baby dying upon delivery. Thalassemia symptoms include fatigue, headaches, dizziness, and enlarged liver and or spleen. In addition, children with this type of uh, thalassemia usually have delayed and or impaired development. Bone marrow transplants, blood transfusions, and vitamin B shots are currently treatments for thalassemia. The second type of microcytic anemia is anemia of chronic disease. This type of anemia happens in conjunction with infection or inflammation. What happens is the disease prevents the body from making enough healthy red blood cells um, that it normally needs. Conditions can be acute and chronic. Examples of conditions that give way to this type of anemia include cancers, kidney disease, autoimmune disorders like rheumatoid arthritis, as well as Crohn's disease. Other conditions include bacterial infections like pneumonia and endocarditis. Symptoms include fatigue, aches and pains, syncope or fainting, headaches, and shortness of breath. Treating anemia of chronic disease is simple in that treating the disease causing the anemia usually mitigates problems. Other methods of treatment include iron therapy and blood transfusions. The third type of microcytic anemia is iron deficiency, and it is the most common type of anemia. The body does not get the oxygen it needs to properly function. This type of anemia mostly occurs due to blood loss, poor absorption of iron, and a diet low in iron. 
As examples, women with heavy menstrual periods, endometriosis, and fibroids are susceptible. In addition, people who have gastric bypass surgery, Crohn's disease, excessive use of aspirin, and a strict vegetarian diet. Children who are premature may also be at increased risk to be anemic. What I found simply fascinating is that hematology.org states that healthy kids who drink 16 to 24 ounces of milk a day are at risk. They go on to state that milk decreases iron absorption and initiates blood loss through irritation of the intestines. Symptoms include a, a pale appearance, lethargy, headaches, irritability, and brittle nails. Treatments include birth control pills to help with heavy menstruation, iron therapy, surgery to correct blood loss, foods rich in iron, iron supplements, and vitamin C to help with iron absorption. The fourth type of microcytic anemia is lead poisoning. Chronic lead poisoning can lead to anemia by interfering with the way heme is made. Ultimately, this impacts the number of red blood cells leading to anemia. Lead poisoning is not as common as it used to be, as lead is no longer used in gasoline and household paint. Lead can also be found in a number of other places, such as contaminated drinking water, soil, and you can even breathe in particles of lead from the air. The buildup in the body over time can lead to lead poisoning. Young children are particularly at risk simply because they're young children, and children tend to touch everything and put their hands in their mouths. Children can also be exposed by candy made in third world countries and toys that are made in countries with loose regulations or regulations not as stringent as those in the United States. Adults are exposed by cheap cosmetics, certain occupations involving construction, and contaminated drinking water. Adults and children can have lead poisoning anemia, but it affects adults differently. Some of the symptoms for children include cramping, short attention span, learning difficulties, vomiting, and fatigue. In adults, some of the symptoms include headaches, abdominal pain, infertility, neuropathy, and memory loss. Regardless of being an adult or child, chronic lead poisoning can lead to lead poisoning anemia. Treating lead poisoning should start with identifying the cause of the lead exposure and rectifying that. In addition, chelation therapy is also used. This simply refers to taking medications that bind to lead and then it's excreted from the body when you urinate. You can also eat foods with high iron content as that will bind to lead and help to eliminate from the body as well. Some foods that are high in iron include beef, eggs, turkey, and chicken. The fifth type of microcytic anemia is sideroblastic anemia. It's a condition that occurs when the bone marrow cannot make healthy red blood cells. Iron builds up and gives the red blood cell the appearance of a ring. There are two types of this anemia, acquired cytoblastic anemia and congenital cytoblastic anemia. Acquired cytoblastic anemia commonly happens in adulthood. Doctors are not completely sure what causes this type of anemia. However, causation has been linked to certain prescription drugs and toxins. Congenital cytoblastic anemia is passed on from a parent to a child and is caused by a defect or defects in certain genes. It can be linked to the X chromosome or autosomal recessive, meaning that in order to get the ailment, two copies of an abnormal gene must be inherited.
Symptoms of acquired cytoblastic anemia include fatigue, headaches, shortness of breath, angina, enlarged liver, and a pale skin. Symptoms of congenital cytoblastic anemia are the same. Treatments include vitamin B6, chelation, transfusions, and bone marrow transplants. Sickle cell anemia. Now, this type of anemia happens when red blood cells form a sickle shape, and the cells become sticky and rigid, causing pain. This happens when there is a problem with heme. The end result is that the red blood cells die off prematurely, causing anemia. In order to get this disease, the patient has to inherit two genes, one from each parent. This condition is more common among African Americans. There are a few types of sickle cell anemia, sickle cell hemoglobin C disease, sickle beta plus thalassemia, and sickle beta zero thalassemia. Sickle cell hemoglobin C disease is a mild form of this disease. People with this condition inherit a normal hemoglobin gene from one parent and a C hemoglobin gene from another. People who inherit the disease will have a hemoglobin S and a hemoglobin C gene. Symptoms include fatigue, paleness, headaches, fever, and joint pain. Treatments for this condition are primarily blood transfusions. Sickle beta plus thalassemia is an autosomal recessive disease resulting in the same types of abnormal red blood cells. Sickle cell disease results in an abnormality of the HBB gene, which provides information in the creation of beta globin. Patients can exhibit uh, delayed growth, fatigue, headaches, joint pain, and body pain. Pain medication is the primary treatment. Sickle beta zero thalassemia occurs when the red blood cells are very small and are not sufficient to provide adequate oxygen to the body and organs. Symptoms include ear infections, joint pain, and body pain. Treatments typically include pain medications. That is going to do it for part one of this two-part podcast. In part two, I'll finish off a small part on what you can do health-wise if you have anemia. I'll also discuss other blood disorders as well as blood cancers. I'll wrap up part two with healthy things you can do in addition to your treatment plan. I want to thank you for listening. Thank you for your support, and I'll see you next time. Remember, living healthy creates a better you.